0: Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anyone interested in reinventing what education is. On this episode, part two of our casual follow-up to episode 50, where we would laid out our map for education, and now Brendan and I are going through it in greater detail and without a script. As always, I am Rob McLeod and joined by Wigan's own Brendan O'Leary. How are you, Brendan?
1: I'm doing all right, Rob. How are you today?
0: I'm quite well. Do we need any more context other than saying, if you are new to us and you haven't listened to episode 50, go back, listen to episode 50. It's called Start Here, 2.0, a map for reinventing education. There we lay out our framework, all the bits and pieces of our idea of how to most effectively and caringly reinvent education. If you haven't checked it out, check that out. Do we need to say more before we get into this? And then I guess maybe listen to episode 51, where you and I try to casually walk back through episode 50, but add just more kind of personal anecdotes, additional ideas and further clarification.
1: No, I think you could have fun and enjoy listening to this episode if you have an an interest in reinventing or changing education. But I think for context, go check out episode 50. You'll get everything laid out nice and clearly, hopefully and then you can come back and enjoy our more rambling discussions on the values and kinds of school. Yeah, and so today, Rob, we are going to more or less stay in this idea of describing and exploring the differences between the three types of school.
0: All right, so let's start off with talking about the values that we see in these three different kinds of school. So we're talking about traditional school, mainstream school, and progressive school. The traditional school, we're saying it has an organizing value of security. So Security being the state of being free from danger or threat. And if you're a fan of either the integral stages of development, perhaps, you know, Frederick Lelou's Reinventing Organizations book, or, you know, Spiral Dynamics, you'll know that there is a stage before this, the red stage, the power stage, which I guess is kind of earmarked by like impulsiveness. And this blue or amber value that seeks security is attempting to kind of keep those warring parties at the door. You know that threat is always around the corner. The destabilization of what you have is omnipresent. So therefore, security informs everything you do. And although that sounds like medieval, what I was talking about, very much in schools today, you'll still see this traditional value at play of security, where everything that's being done in some way, if you keep asking, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? You could bring it back to the idea that security is organizing everything that happens in the school. Then the next value is opportunity in a mainstream school.
1: So we developed this idea of the three types of school. And this is the one that gets kind of mixed up with traditional school a little bit. People generally say, "Oh, the next one, the progressive one, it stands out like a sore thumb." But the traditional mainstream sometimes get mixed up. But I feel that it was. It's kind of a stark difference. And what happens in this opportunity-based school, which is I think the orange value in Spiral Dynamics and in Frederick Laloux's work, this is very much about the idea of giving opportunity. Very. Much much based on those enlightenment values of honesty, truth, and this idea of rational and logical thought. So in these types of schools, and these are essentially, we're calling them mainstream schools, but they're the schools that you might find most commonly in Britain and North America. Now, if you walk around what we call school now, is essentially this mainstream opportunity value. You see curriculum documents that tell students what they're going to study for the entire year and even over the entire course of their school. It's very much based on hopefully rigorous assessment in its healthiest iteration. So there's clear criteria for success and the success criteria are assessed regularly and in a valid way so as to help students to make measurable progress and to move towards goals. And these goals are generally set on a national or local level. So what we mean by that is that they're qualification. So you're often in this mainstream school system heading towards the next step of school, which will eventually take you. To some form of qualification and this idea of opportunity underpins everything however just to clarify what we mean by that it doesn't mean that you have a choice of all the opportunities in the world essentially especially in primary schools where we work your actual opportunities in terms of choice are quite limited but that's because the system is designed eventually to give you opportunities mostly in the area of work so this is of the three aims that we talk about work prep citizenship or self-development this is the one that is very much geared towards preparing people for work And it does that in the primary years with this very broad kind of set of subjects, your maths, your English, your science, and then they begin specializing more and more and more. So you do get more choices and opportunities as you get older. But still, it's very much within the parameters of what's set by local and national governments. And then, Rob, do you want to tackle the progressive school.
0: Yeah. So here we've got inclusion as the organizing value, which essentially just means like being included as an individual. And that sort of like everything that previously hadn't been included in the mainstream and traditional schools now has, it's it's now taken into consideration. So things like your own interests, your own feelings, your own emotions, those kinds of things weren't included in the previous iterations of school, traditional and mainstream. And progressive school is essentially saying like, Hey, you can, you are accepted, included here as you are right now without any edits necessarily being needed. And everything we do in this school is done to ensure inclusion, both on the individual level of who you are, but also in, to ensure that we have an inclusive culture within the building for staff, for students, for parents, for everybody involved. Everything we are doing is to make sure that. Every voice is included. So between these three different kinds of schools, there's, we're also kind of looking at archetypes to help tell the difference between them. And traditional school, it's a master-apprentice model. Mainstream school, it's a coach. And in progressive schools, we're saying it's a counselor. So if you go back to the traditional school core value of security where you're wanting to be sure that there's one clear way to do things we've got the master and apprentice model and this again begins to sound a little bit medieval. We certainly still have apprenticeships in this day and age but they think they look closer to kind of a mainstream approach in the way that they're done. But if you go back to the idea of like you know <laughs> the blacksmith in a town. If you wanted to become a blacksmith there wasn't the the blacksmith academy of a town where 50 people could go learn at once you're most likely to have kind of like a one-on-one master-apprentice ratio or or a very small group of apprentices learning from a master and the master knows like the one true way to do things. They are the expert on this topic and essentially by continuously pointing out your mistakes and errors, they eventually get you to stop making mistakes and errors and they know when you are now ready to be a master. They know when you can do things the right way, that one way that we do things. They know when you are ready and it's their judgment that's sort of the be-all and end-all. So that's the traditional security approach.
1: What I would drop in here, or what I would ask is obviously, and you can throw this back to me, or obviously a blacksmith takes an apprentice and teaches that blacksmith to be a blacksmith. And five to 10 years later, they are the master blacksmith for that town. What is the traditional school teacher actually the master of? And what are they teaching these kids to become masters of eventually? Yeah,
0: I'd say there's two things. So one is being the master of behavior to be part of our citizenry. So I think out of those three aims, work, prep, citizenship, and self-development, we oddly enough, in this master-apprentice dynamic, the larger lesson isn't necessarily the skills of any given trade or discipline. The larger teaching, the unspoken teaching, is actually that cultural teaching of, you have a duty to uphold, we need you to do it. Listen to those who are experts so that you can get to a place where you can uphold your duty. And to some degree, regardless if it's a blacksmith or a math teacher, the underlying message you're teaching is, someone else knows better than you and you should learn from them and one day you'll be that someone who knows better than someone else and you'll bring someone else along and that's like that needs to be a culturally accepted belief in order to reinforce that security and in a traditional school yeah you're gonna you're not gonna have one teacher to one student teaching math and science and cursive handwriting you're going to have you know one teacher to 20 30 40 50 students the idea is that they are the teacher in theory is also the master of any given topic or information or set of details that needs to be known so that's what it looks like in a school the teacher is kind of the to some degree unquestioned authority once that classroom door closes. So that looks very different than a coach. So we're going from kind of like master expert and then shifting into the mainstream school where we see a coach or almost like an Olympic coach. And Brennan, you already touched on the idea of like very clear criteria for success, ongoing assessment, feedback, this meritocracy in the mainstream school of finding out, you know, who's doing the best. It's sort of like the Olympics light with textbooks. Like what what does that coach archetype mean? for a school?
1: Well, I think this kind of system is beginning to mature. I mean, it it essentially began to develop properly post-war and changes in education are very slow, but we're still moving more and more towards this role of the teacher differentiating and getting involved more and more with individual students and groupings and actually working on specific skills and setting individual and group goals. And that is essentially how a coach works, that they don't just set the same goal for everybody and then check in a few weeks later the mainstream mindset the coach takes responsibility alongside the student in their coach role and as the tests or as the assessments approach teachers will work closely with students to give them goals and coach them towards those goals but again those goals are probably within the parameters set by the examination boards as the mainstream system has developed for the last 30 years with national curriculums coming in and standardized testing coming in more. Teachers are needing to work more on specific skills with individual students. And I'm just going to throw in a quick anecdote of a school I worked at. The 30 kids in the class were essentially split into groups of two as as we're getting close and close to the end of year assessments. And every single teacher who worked in that school was given two students from the upper grade the last year. And we met with them for 15 minutes every morning before school to look at specific goals for those children so that's what we might see much more of in a in a mainstream school the idea of that happening in a traditional school is absurd you would be laughed out of the building for suggesting such a such a tactic but differentiated for individual students support taking responsibility for the student's progress alongside the student and their parents yeah these are very much the hallmarks of the mainstream system and the coaching model and so if we move on to the progressive model we move into something that looks a little bit more like a counseling model rather than a coaching model so could you just set that out for us a little bit rob and say how that might differ from the other two the master and apprentice model the coach model and now the counselor model
0: so the coach you know just to my own reaction sounds much better than the master and apprentice where it's like hey let's focus on what you can do let's give you lots of feedback not just pointing out mistakes essentially like let's look at what you can do let's you know I, i even picture like a sports coach you know filming them doing something and watching it back with them and giving detailed feedback to improve and that sounds much better but if you take like one step back and if we use the idea of like an olympic coach where it's like, okay, we're going to go, all of us, all, all 25 of us in this class, we're going to go to the Olympics. They've already defined what success looks like. Here, here's what you're trying to do in the pole vault, and here's what you're trying to do in the 100-meter race. And we we have to do what they're asking us to do in order to do well at the Olympics. And I'm going to make sure that you can do what the Olympics are going to ask you to do in the events and to do it well. I think when you step back from that and begin to look like from the progressive school viewpoint or the counselor, you might just think like, why are we all going to the Olympics? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do the things that the Olympics is saying we need to do? Why are we investing so much time, energy, resources into making sure kids can do the stuff that's that's in the curriculum? Why, why is everyone having to participate in these events? This, this doesn't make a t- a ton of sense to me and we shift this idea
1: yeah little little jimmy doesn't actually want to do pole vaulting he's much more interested in watercolors but there's no olympic watercolor sport it's pole vaulting or nothing
0: and not and not only that he doesn't really but on top of that it's like yeah he he doesn't even want to do pole vaulting so do you know how meaningless it is for him to sit with you for 15 minutes In a small group while he's getting detailed descriptions on how to get better at pole vaulting it's like do you know how much that doesn't matter to him and like how much time you're now gonna have to spend trying to trick him into being motivated to do this
1: well i think that's a key point there because it's also incredibly stressful and as we all know it's harder to do something if you're less interested but if that thing that you have to do is seems like it's of no value and no interest to you but everybody is harassing everybody is putting pressure on you and you are pushing putting pressure on yourself is an incredibly stressful situation and you'd want to be very careful that if you were going to have those levels of stress it really really was important and meaningful to the individual and their life. Sometimes it is. There are examinations and assessments and qualifications that are vital. And then maybe there's other times that the Olympic pole vaulting event is less meaningful.
0: Yeah, and I, I, this is a bit of a straw man, but at its worst, the mainstream school might say, well, it doesn't really matter if, it, if this isn't meaningful to you. It's super meaningful when you're out of school because like yeah maybe you don't care about pole vaulting right now but you know what that job you want they're going to ask what are your pole vaulting qualifications like so even if, you, if even if this isn't meaningful now it, it is meaningful to you cuz you you'll need this for later and that's kind of the the default position
1: we do want to critique that argument cuz that is a very good argument and is one we hear often and the point being that you know let's say something such as calculus it's hard to make a case that most jobs that you go into will need that and so those very subject specific skills are harder to justify but then we do get into some broader what we call transdisciplinary skills in the progressive schools or moving in that direction
0: so there's a lot of critique of the the coach model and the mainstream school, but I'm doing this to set the stage for like what progressive counselors bring to the table. And that is the idea that, yeah, we don't need this monoculture of skills. Again, I think I said this before, but like it seems absurd in like America, for example, that students in rural Alaska and downtown Miami have to go to the same Olympics and that they're competing (laughs) for those same pole vaulting criteria and whatnot. So the counselor comes in, the progressive approach to education comes in and says, hey, maybe there isn't a one-size-fits-all starter pack of skills that we need to get every kid ready for. Maybe not, not, not everyone needs to go to the Olympics at the end of this. Maybe I don't need to spend all my time and their time getting them ready for the Olympics, which arguably, the more time goes on, it's not even clear that that Olympics is actually getting them ready for the job thing that happens after this and that's what we're hearing you know feedback from from the the actual world of the work that people are supposedly being prepared for so the counselor comes in and says maybe there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach and maybe what's more adaptive as you enter into the world is that you are able to create your own unique path and have the capacities and skills to pursue what's interesting meaningful to you relevant to you and that's all included now it wasn't before Hopefully, you found meaning in what was provided before, but now your actual interests, your actual capacities, and your own personal like constellation of skills and abilities is now on the table in terms of being able to be negotiated, co-created to find an educational path that is custom-tailored to you. And the counselor, the teacher as counselor, that archetype, is there to help you navigate how to do that because you, on your own may be able to do it, but it's likely a more enriched experience to have another perspective on that.
1: Obviously, we, we know the term counsellor for someone who gives emotional support generally. And this is a broader definition of the word counsellor in the sense that this is a person who helps you to negotiate a potentially tricky path through education. And so progressive education often gets straw manned in the sense that it will be, well, they'll come out the other end not knowing how to read and write and they're just playing for 15 years or whatever and there's definitely on the very progressive end of the spectrum there are schools that have very few expectations of students in terms of academic learning um those are few and far between we're describing a model that maybe more is in line with an ib school that you might find which is international baccalaureate and they teach More of an inquiry-based program where there is a lot of choice for students. But then it also can describe the Steiner schools, your Montessori schools, and even more progressive schools where students get, you know, fully, it's fully democratic in what students can do. But that counselor role in this sense is somebody who helps students to see their potential paths through education and then helps them to set their own personal goals and move through their own personal um, in their own personal direction so this seems very very appealing and to me in my own personal experience of education including a student's hopes and their personality and the direction they want to go yields very positive results but this type of education also gives a lot of people the shivers because it does move away from that more solid, traditional kind of model that says that it builds clear morals and self-discipline, and it moves away from that mainstream opportunity value that essentially teaches you skills that will get you qualifications to prepare you for work. And that can be a very scary proposition for many parents and even teachers.
0: Yeah, there's almost the idea, I think, once we get to progressive, that in its extreme cases, there's the fear that it will lack rigor. And we'll get into that maybe with the bathwaters that like demand wasn't put on the kid. But I think that's just an example of like a lousy counselor. It's like, well, the counselor didn't help them navigate through this, just as you can have a lousy coach or a lousy master in the master apprentice model. And I think this is where the idea of like rigor comes in. And I think at the master apprentice model, you get rigor from the demands of the master or in the educational context, the demand of the teacher, the teacher's expectations of how things will be done in their classroom. In mainstream with the coach, the rigor, the demands, it gets more complex because I think it it at least splits into three ways, which is like the curriculum has its demands and that's holding the teacher as coach and student accountable to say, teacher you have to be effectively and efficiently producing the best results specifically test scores and things like that and kid the rigor is also going to come from you that you can't just walk your way through this if you want to get those higher scores the curriculum slash teacher and the kind of ecosystem of the three of you are demanding rigor here and i think at progressive it it gets like more difficult to see because what we're saying is yeah there's not a one-size-fits-all curriculum making demands but now we might have some kind of a structure that's maybe just not as easily seen and that structure might be something like transdisciplinary skills so big skills like communication problem solving all these kinds of things that like transcend any one subject you don't just find communication in english or just in science it's it's across all of them so there's like the demands of like these more abstract principles and maybe the demands of something like you said like an inquiry cycle that there are definite specific steps you walk through or some kind of like variation on like the scientific method it's like no no you won't see like one project that we demand the skills of you in these things are kind of like stretched across everything That we're doing. And I think partially because it's new, like just historically, and the fact like you pointed out that it looks so different from the coach or master and apprentice model that people don't have their own lived experience of having gone through it. There's extra suspicion of it. Even if at the end of it, when it's done well, we look at who's the student that comes out of these three systems and it's like do we want the apprentice do we want the olympic athlete or do we want you know someone who's been counseled to be able to develop their own unique path in life and at least for myself it's like out of those three it's like well if it's not the olympics the coach modeled, If if after school they don't continue in the olympics that doesn't, I don't quite trust that system as much. And The Apprentice, cool, super skilled in like one specific area as long as someone's telling them what to do and and they're a master in that domain, cool. But personally, I lean more towards like, yeah, the person who can like sort out their own path for the rest of life, depending on what comes their way. That to me sounds like the most solid bet. That actually has the most security in it, in my view.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And obviously, this is heavily biased by our own thoughts and feelings on this matter. But we've been in the game for a long time now and the world is an incredibly complex place and the idea that you're going to come out of it and the disciplinary stuff you may have learned in the mainstream school, the 10% of it that you may remember, the idea that that is somehow going to prepare you for work doesn't hold up to any scrutiny i mean is there really anybody out there that hasn't heard the line oh you know you you actually start learning the job once you start the job not when you're studying you can forget everything you learned in school and college because they didn't get you ready for the real job and you know there's some truth in that with whichever job you go into you have to learn by doing and but doesn't that just show that there may be some issue with that block between 5 and 25 years old or 22 or whatever, That that we come out of it ostensibly? It's not a moral program to teach you morals, although there's an element of that. And it's not really designed to help you find who you are although we do say that it's actually just designed to get you ready for the world of work because as we said in the last episode and as we keep saying we're still living in a world where the kind of capitalist system is wagging the school system and that's going to lead to us putting more emphasis on being ready for the world of work there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but the critique that i would make is that the mainstream orange school doesn't do a great job of that and so to double down on that if the olympic analogy that we're going with actually prepared you in school for the olympic event that you were going to do in your job then it's hard to argue with it you come out of your 20 odd years of education and you slot seamlessly into the beginnings of your career first of all it doesn't seem to happen that way and second of all yeah that that's not how the world works anymore how many jobs did you go through and i went through before we eventually found where we were going and what our story is by no means unique this ain't the world of one job after college or university anymore. It still happens, but it's in the minority. And so this is not to say, you know, that progressive school answers the questions. There is no answer. The best answer of course is you have traditional education for the aspects of your life that needs it. And you have mainstream education for the aspects that need that. And then you have progressive education, which is of course where we're going with the fourth value of integration, this post-progressive school that says, yeah, actually the coach, and the counselor and the master have their place. Now, how are we going to build a school that knows how to utilize those three types of teaching models in the right way at the right time for you and for us as a group?
0: So I think uh, with that, I think I just want to jump down to like the babies and bath waters discussion because I think we could... <laughs> You and I put us around a fire. We could talk for hours about the nuts and bolts and little examples. But I think this is maybe the most juicy part here. So that integration value is looking to go back through these three types of education and arguably more. Maybe we'll get to that. But if we look at these three types of like national education, we're looking at like three different answers to the question of like, how do our institutions Play a hand in raising the youth of our country? How do our institutions raise our the potential in our children, adolescents, into our job market, our type of citizenry, and the kinds of people on the individual level we wish to have here? And all three of these if we haven't said it already, we assume have the best of intentions. They really believe like, no, what is best is this traditional secure approach. No, what is best is this mainstream building of opening the doors and ladders in schools filter, the filter of school that filters you into the part of the job market that you should have at the level that you should have. And the progressive, that idea, I'll just finish with the progressive, the progressive idea of like, no, it's uncertain what's coming after this, but what is certain is it's going to be you It's going to be you having to find your way, and we want all of you and all of us to be included in your well-being and the well-being of our groups as well. And
1: all I was going to add to that was that each one may say, actually, we do all of these. So if if you're listening to this and saying, oh yeah, those all sound like my school, we do all of those things. It's true. We all do all of these things, but the question is... To what extent? Does one of them rule the roost? And generally, the case will be that in whatever school you are, one of these three paradigms will be more or less pushing. And that's what Rob said earlier. That's what you said earlier, Rob. When you ask the why, the five whys, and you keep digging a little bit further into why and why and why, you will probably essentially end up with a well, this makes us more secure, or this gives us more opportunity, or this gives us more inclusion and includes more of ourselves in this discussion.
0: And then the other... Babies, bathwater. So all three of these do something right. There are things that we can't argue with their effectiveness or their contribution to what this nationwide schooling looks like. But equally, there seem to be problems often unique to their own approach that may or may not be seen across the others. And we're calling these bathwater. So essentially what Brent and I are trying to do is like for each of these three kinds of school, what did they get right? And what would we be better off with? if we were able to get rid of it. Now, what seems strange or at least apparent to us is that as time has gone on and we've shifted from traditional schooling to mainstream, as we see shifts from mainstream to progressive, what often happens is we throw out the babies with the bathwater. We kind of lose what the previous iteration of school had right because it's almost like we get an allergy to the previous approach of school. So a mainstream approach to school like has this allergy to anything that's not measured or anything that's not part of the curriculum or anything that's kind of been left up to the teacher's own whim and similar like progressive schooling gets this kind of like allergy to like standardized tests the idea that everyone has to be doing the same aims the same goals the same kind of work but let's go through and let's look at what they do get right and then look at maybe what we'd like to leave behind so in the traditional school security based school I would say the babies or the positives are they. they? They did bring structure, order, predictability, a sense of belonging to the group, trust, Tradition, rites of passage, and that idea of having an expert in an area lead things. And I think like we have to give traditional schools credit because they were the ones essentially who got this idea of nationwide schooling happening. In terms of like human history, this is incredibly recent. We're talking like the longest being you know roughly like three hundred years ago. This idea that every kid in the country gets a state-sponsored education. And I know arguably it wasn't until like the 1900s in, in most countries that that was actually realized but this is so new in human history and like kudos to traditional school for bringing that structure order that predictability and like getting this started so we don't want to lose structure order we don't want to lose belonging to the group which often disappears when we get over to mainstream school and it's this you're on your own competing in an individualized event against slash kind of with everyone else but ultimately if he gets an 83 and you get an 82 he's the one who gets the thing that you don't. You lost out on an opportunity there. Um, and we don't want to lose trust. We don't necessarily want to lose tradition or those rites of passage from the traditional school.
1: I think what's important is that each of these things can be a baby. They can be a good thing when used in the right way at the right time. So we just did a full season of episodes on, there on a really healthy iteration of a traditional school. So a healthy traditional school that structure and that order and that predictability are used to really support the whole of the school community, everyone who's in there, individuals and groups. This actually, the belief is in the leadership and in the whole community of the school that that this trust, this tradition, this order, this predictability is the best way to deal with issues and the best way to live our lives. And there's some truth to that. There is absolutely some truth to that, especially in unsteady times. And so even in 2020, with that level of complexity in the world, that's order and predictability and that tradition can be correct. However, the other two value systems may argue they're not going to argue that order is never correct of course but they may argue, they may argue when it comes down to it that a mainstream school rather than having order might want to look at progress and rather than having belonging to a group might want to look at differentiation and so they begin to when things get down to looking like binaries almost and when times get a little tight we have to choose between one of these, it starts to get tough. And so we do move over into that mainstream and we begin to see accountability. Now, traditional schools might shy away from accountability for a whole host of reasons. But in a mainstream school, this is seen as a, this is a good thing. This is a baby. If you're in a healthy mainstream school, everybody being accountable for what they do and the progress that students make and the teachers make, having clear goals, measuring progress trying to standardize the competition and the rules of the game so that everyone has an opportunity to advance and then differentiating and getting in there as a coach and actually helping individuals and groups in a way that they may need uh, a different level of support from other students. Giving clear feedback. Hey, this is where you're going and here is how I suggest you kind of move. These are all things that the traditional school would potentially shy away from, but especially when times got tough, these will be pushed to the side in favor of those other things we said, tradition, order, predictability, stability, belonging to the group. So the mainstream, again, accountability, differentiation, clear goals, standardized uh, competitions, and emphasizing what students can do. And this big key, going back to those enlightenment values, is that there's a name for fairness. There's a name to make a level playing field if possible. So these are the things that the mainstream school emerged. And again, it's not that they didn't exist in traditional times, but they certainly weren't the thing you would go to above everything else. Whereas when mainstream schools are in a crunch point, this is what they will double down on. And we're saying that actually these are the best things about mainstream school. And we agree, double down on those. Do those better because you're gonna serve your own value system really well.
0: And as we're, as we are saying, like the integration value, which again is sort of this fourth value that we haven't gone through in the same level of detail yet. This fourth value wants to move between these flexibly as the situation dictates. So like which one of these now would be the best to double down on? Whereas what we seem to see is if you were in one of these three kinds of school, you always double down on the same thing. It's sort of like you keep asking why and you're always gonna get back to that same core value. You're always going to get back to the things that will reinforce this way of doing school. And it's not until this integration value that we say, well, rather than only having all our money on one horse, like we can split it between these three, like depending on the race and depending on the day and depending on the this and depending on the that, like depending on the context we're in, maybe one of these three will better serve us then always doubling down and doing the same one over and over again. But again, you're not going to find one of these in perfect isolation. In any school, it's going to be some kind of blend of all of these things. But again, if you just follow it with that why, 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 eventually you get to seeing what is under the surface or under the sheen of them. So in progressive schools, value of inclusion, the really good things that we want to keep, and not leave behind as we move on to say the integration value is this idea of student voice and agency. So allowing student choice and negotiation of what their school experience looks like. The idea of transdisciplinary skills, so again moving away from you know mainstream and even traditional schools approach to having math class and English class and history class and geography. You might see that in the traditional schools that they're kept very disciplinary. Maybe by mainstream schools you'll see that you know it's more fi- effective or more efficient to kind of do the multi-disciplinary learning where you're you know, doing a little bit of science and math and a little bit of writing and history and whatever, but still at the end of the day, you're getting a, a mark for your math and a mark for your English. Whereas when you move to progressive, it's more about these transdisciplinary skills. So what are the skills that are actually found across every subject, every discipline, and how do we build those up? As well, the idea of inquiry learning, so tuning into a topic, what are you interested in here? What, what do you want to learn more about? How can you do that? Okay, once you've found out some stuff, like what do you want to do with this information now? How can you take some meaningful action? This idea of like, it's not just you're interested in something and then you go check it out for a bit, it's like you're interested in something and we have this, this guided process to walk you through it in a, in a meaningful and developmentally pushing kind of a way. Student wellness comes in. We already alluded to some of the stress that can certainly be found in mainstream school, potentially traditional school. The fact that you are well, we don't just mean physically, but socially, emotionally. All these other new parts of you are included onto the table and, and those matter. There's also the attempt to remove systemic disadvantages. So while mainstream schools aim to make things fair, for everybody to ensure that the school itself is not creating any barriers or obstacles that are unnecessary at progressive schools we actually attempt to like acknowledge that everyone coming in has had a different systemic background and there's this attempt to actually remove the disadvantages that have been in place and as we keep saying there's an emphasis on what the students want to do not only what we're demanding that they do so those are the really positive things across those three different values of school, but each come with a bathwater. And I had a conversation this week with Armin Sieber of the Integralist Tagesschule in Winterthur, Switzerland, and he, he made a good cautionary note where he said, yeah, it sounds like you just want to get rid of the bath waters and only keep the babies, but sometimes you need a bit of this bath water to have the baby swim. And the, the larger goal is just make sure that there isn't too much bath water so that the baby drowns in it. So I think I'm still playing with this idea of, can we actually like surgically remove these undesirable things like I would idealistically like to? Or just how do we like kind of give them their space, but keep them at a necessary minimum, perhaps? But if we go back to the traditional school...
1: So there's a couple of things there, again, stressing that your school might do all of these things. You might say, well, we do have a focus on student wellness, but we do also have order and we do, of course, have differentiation. So we're already a post-progressive school because we're doing all of these things. There's some truth in that, of course. However, how are you prioritizing them, especially when time and resources and energy is tight? Because if it comes down to, are you going to use your time to prep for a standardized test, or are you going to give students more counseling in what they're interested in and their inquiry? Well, a mainstream school, it's a no-brainer. We can't just keep doing these student-led projects because the test the standardized test state is creeping closer and closer and closer then at the end of the day you're going to have to push that progressive idea of giving students ownership and go more towards prepping them for this the standardized testing and I guess that's an important point because it is tempting to say we do all of these things but I think the really important thing is which one are you focusing most on and I think that babies and bath water and I love that analogy there of just enough bath water so that the baby doesn't go under and uh, I think that's key because we could put all our energy into getting rid of all of the drawbacks that we're going to talk about in a moment. But let's spend our energy on on emphasizing the benefit. Let's make that baby a better swimmer. If you want to continue down that path, could be a baby dolphin, you know. But but then we remove the bathwater at the same time. To stretch that analogy you know, to breaking point. You were about to move on to the bath waters, Rob. So traditional school bath waters, what are those drawbacks?
0: Yeah, we haven't been giving the baby any agency. We just assume the baby is floating there and, and helpless. Yeah. So when you've got security as your main value, main priority, and you've got this master-apprentice dynamic, and you're emphasizing the idea of getting someone ready to uphold their duty and to kind of conform to the social norms of what's required of them. First of all, when it's just left up to one expert, it's up to their opinion on how to do things. They might be resistant to change. And just straight up, their methods might not be very effective or very efficient. There's this doubling down on the idea of like, there's only one right way to do things. So why would they change? I'm doing the best thing possible. It's common sense. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. And I know that this is the way to do it because this is the way I was brought up through school. And it worked for me, look where I'm at. You're telling me that this doesn't work? It's created this order and structure in society. Why are we going to mess with what's already working? Don't reinvent the wheel if things are already working. Why why fix it if it's not broken? Um, However, it's also very arbitrary and tends to lack consistency because an individual, any one master, any one teacher, has kind of full say on what happens in their classroom. And, uh, Brennan, what was the line you used about, like, th- the kind of traditional teacher trusting their own judgment on things? But you had said, like, the, uh, the idea of, like, you know, they know by f- the, by feeling and personal conviction.
1: Yeah, I think it's just that idea that the pre-data-driven kind of knowledge, which comes up in mainstream schools, that enlightenment values, that very much about rationality, this traditional model works much more on a strong emotional connections to things and unfortunately you can get false readings of things potentially just as if you come in from the cold and you put your hands on something hot it's going to feel hotter than it normally would and the research has been done where you know if if teachers shuffle the order of their papers may result in students getting very different grades just because of how they are feeling when they actually mark that, as well as how they feel about the student themselves. So I think that arbitrary thing gets kind of ironed out a little bit in the mainstream when they start to have more specific criteria and this idea of moderating work so that multiple teachers will be responsible for marking.
0: And connected to this, the teacher also controls the pace of how quickly you're moving through the topic. So there's no differentiation. Hey, if you already know this, you have to sit through it because it's really about putting in the time doing things. It's not about what you can do or can't do. It's like you need to put in the time with me. You're going to have to put in your time with me until I can find some mistakes you're making. That's basically the way that it's going to work, regardless of if that pace is too fast or too slow. And I think through what we have said here, typically it's too slow. It's kind of paced towards catching that bottom two fifths of the class or so to make sure they're not falling behind the rest. So this sounds strange and maybe counterintuitive, but they tend to avoid transparency and really informing others or sharing information. Again, if we think of this from the teacher's perspective, they might not share everything to explain how they're marking things or what's coming up next week in case maybe something is shuffled and and they don't deliver on it. There's I think this idea that the more someone else knows, the less secure they are because you don't know what someone else is going to do or start questioning, losing some of that trust. So it's better to keep the information close and not freely share it out there. And finally, like we said, just that overemphasis on errors, regardless of like the degree of severity of the errors, If there's errors to be seen, they'll pick up on it and point it out. So those are the drawbacks, the bathwaters of the traditional school. How about mainstream, O'Leary?
1: Well, yeah, there's a lot there in traditional, and we kind of rag on traditional schools quite a lot. And in many ways, a lot of those things you say feel out of date in the 21st century. The idea that you don't have to be transparent and that you don't need specific criteria, it's... That, that doesn't fly,
0: really. Oh, I want to tell the Easter egg story really quickly. So, co- yeah, a colleague of mine was sharing a story from the traditional school. They were talking about how they were trained by a teacher- they were learning. um, They were trained by a teacher who is definitely traditional who, when questioned about how clear they make their approach to marking to students, had said, oh, I don't explain anything to them because it's kind of like I'm just dropping little Easter eggs. And if the students can figure out how I've marked their work, then it's a real bonus. It's a great thing for them. It's a delight for them to feel how smart they are because they managed to figure it out. And that just, to me, sounds like such insane cognitive dissonance. All right, mainstream.
1: Yeah, and there's, there's some truth in that that it is nice there's truth in all of this that the smart kid might get something out of it but that's not going to fly in a world of measurable progress and transparency which the healthiest iteration of mainstream school has however we're not looking at healthy iterations we talked about that before we're looking at what's wrong with the mainstream school and you will have heard these arguments yourself if you're in britain or north america it's reductionist it has narrowed the curriculum so much that it just throws out so much of what could be studied in favor of a very narrow set of skills and knowledge Um, and it leads to the monoculture as you said everybody has to study the same thing uh, regardless of how relevant it is, is to you what, what can happen then is the system can become gamified, especially when you get standardized tests coming in. And the pressure on students and teachers to do well in these tests, because their salaries are sometimes linked and sometimes it's important to the next school. Sometimes the schools are ranked in tables and government inspectors may be knocking on the door if you don't do very well. There are high stakes and there is there are ample reasons and ample ways to gamify the system from legit ones as in increasing study groups to unlegit ones such as changing answers on test papers to get better scores. It's all potentially for a game if your salary or your job or your next step of school is, is, is reliant on this. The other thing about this mainstream school system is maybe because they're prepping you for the next step of school, they're not seeing the bigger picture and so the stuff you're learning in grade seven may get you ready for grade eight but it may not be heading really in the right direction of where you need to be five six seven years down the line it hasn't been reverse engineered very well to be ready for the various worlds of work even if we knew where you were going we have we're not really pointing you in the right direction always as you get older you specialize more and maybe there's more of a case for that but certainly in grade school and up until grade 11, 12, it's just very broad and not always relevant. And then wellness, mental health is sometimes disregarded at the expense of this idea of standardized testing. So because so much is put on this idea of progress and these high stakes tests, they cause a lot of stress in the system, they cause a lot of stress to the people in the system and students suffer, parents suffer, teachers suffer. And this is definitely a drawback of the mainstream system. There's more we could go into it, but how about we just drop in a couple of bathwaters of the progressive system before we wrap it up for the day?
0: Yeah. So we're seeing most of these bathwaters due to like bad masters or bad coaches. And just the same way we might have a bad counselor. And if that is the case, you're going to see students having an experience where the school lacks rigor or utility or even allowing kids to bypass challenge. So because so much relies on what's meaningful to the students, what the student's interested in, it's quite possible the student can kind of create like a them-shaped pattern of avoidance to do things they don't want to do, which might actually be the stuff they really need to do in order to better be able to pursue their own path in life. The idea that you can negotiate everything at every step, that's great to build agency, but to some degree may or may not reflect the actual world they will experience when they leave the school setting. At its worst, when there isn't an emphasis on what's serving the group in a progressive school and it's only about what a student wants to do and what they're interested in, the potential to develop narcissism is a bathwater, there's also now a lot of critiques beginning to emerge, actually critiquing progressive schools for having very privileged expectations of the good and not actually being very good fits for certain social and economic contexts and actually kind of privileging sort of upper middle class values over a wider diversity of values It also prioritizes process over outcomes. So almost in a weird callback to the traditional school, it might not be that effective or efficient. The idea that, oh, if we do things this way, it's good in and of itself, regardless of how effective the outcomes of say the actions are. And finally, a strange one, it forces meaning. So just like traditional school forces you to do what the master is telling you, just like the mainstream curriculum forces you into the Olympics, in a progressive school, at its worst, it's demanding you find meaning in everything. And just straight up, I don't think that's how life works necessarily.
1: We could go on for hours and hours because this is rich, rich stuff. But that was a good chat enjoyed it we had to dig in a few of the nooks and crannies that we didn't hit in in episodes 50 and 51 we're moving on We're moving onwards and upwards you want to tell us about the next episode or do we not know what it is yet
0: ah uh, just like traditional teachers we'd like to keep that a secret in case things change but i think our next one will be a deeper dive into the babies and bathwaters and how to make that useful and practical for someone in an educational context to see how you actually address these things across the eight aspects.
1: I like that idea. Bring in a little practicality to that that barrage of babies and bathwaters information we just dropped on people. But if you listen to episode 50 and you listen to this one, you're well prepped for next week when we talk about how these babies and bathwaters might actually operate inside a school and how we can recognize the strengths and weaknesses in our own schools. Thanks very much, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks,
0: Brennan. The end. We hope this episode has been interesting. If you want to connect, we're on Twitter. We're kind of building a community there. Feel free to pass this episode on to others who give a damn about what's going on in education. From Brendan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of yours on what we're saying.